Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly, your host. Thanks so much for tuning in. We've got a great guest today making his return engagement. James Dixon is the managing editor for the Michigan Capital Confidential. He joins us. James, how are you, bud? Hey, I'm great, Tony, and thank you so much for having me. Well, there just seems to be a lot going on when it comes to politics in Michigan. So let's just dive right at it. The main story that made me want to talk with you was a new Michigan bill that would ban cell phones on school buses and in classes in some instances. Tell me a little bit about this story. It's House Bill 6171. What do you know? Well, you know, the good news, probably the best news about this is that it's unlikely to ever pass into law. The person behind it is a representative named Gary Eisen. He's a Republican. And, you know, I don't know him. He didn't call me back. But I do know that he lost his primary by 41 points. <laughs> so he will not Ouch. be with us in January. So that kind of solves that. It's only at the committee level. But what I find concerning about it is that for just a two-page bill, how broadly it is constructed to where, you know, I think we all see there's a value maybe in a classroom policy, even if we don't think Lansing and the legislature need to do it themselves. But when you talk about any school property, can't have it at the school bus, can't have it when you're in the van on the way to a band competition or an acting competition. That's what would technically these districts would have to pass. And what I also found disturbing is that he's not just saying the state should have a law itself. The law would require that districts pass their own policy, whether they want to or not. And what I thought was interesting, first of all, that there is a bill this short and not 500 pages, number one. Number two, as you mentioned, that it was so broad. Number three, that that includes everyone, including students and administrators. And I don't think you have kids yet, James, but it's a pretty good tool for parents to communicate with their children. If you have a tracker on there, like we still do with our adult kids, not so much to know where they are, but should anything happen, you know yes. where they are. I mean, this was really overreaching in so many aspects. You know, I remember in 1995-96, so this was the year I was in sixth grade. And going into middle school and Wayne Westland schools. And back then, pagers were the big thing. Everyone <laughs> yeah. was so worried. And because that's what drug dealers had. And that's what rappers had. So pagers were the scourge of the time. And there was all these technology policies. And there was all this fear. And I get it now in retrospect. Especially with the newness of it. But this doesn't make sense. These aren't new technologies. These aren't new things. To some extent, you're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. Let's put it that way. And so to act like this technology is something to fear and something to limit, the question that comes to mind is what changed? And what's interesting, too, so many thoughts went through my mind when I saw the story, but we're living in the world now where we're about to hire 87,000 a new IRS folks over the next 10 years. We're living in an age where the president's home gets raided by the FBI. We're living in an age where it seems like we're, you know, past COVID, but yet we as citizens are being managed so much. So that's another reason why it caught my eye, man. 
Well, and that's exactly it because, you know, when you look closely, the common thread between all those things is that our leaders can't lead us and they certainly can't get us to a better life. And they've largely given up on that mission. And so, but if they can keep us busy with trying to stop them from all the ways they're trying to affect our lives, we'll never have time or focus enough to know that they themselves are the big problem in our lives. And it made me wonder why this gentleman lost by more than 40 points when I saw that. It was, (laughs) it made me chuckle a bit. But so I took this story and I Googled it. I couldn't find anywhere else where this story was covered. And it just seems like now these restrictions on our lives, are they the norm now, Jason? Well, you know, and then you think about it because what's been the big issue? Parent rights and parent access to the classroom. And there's, you know, after a year of Zoom class, a lot of parents, their attitude is one, we didn't like what we heard, but two, we know you can do Zoom. So I want to be able to watch it and see what my kid's learning in class. And schools don't like that. And they're even saying they're not allowed to do it for privacy reasons. And so I believe they view the cell phone as the next frontier in that battle. No one wants to wind up on TikTok. (laughs) Well, keep pushing stories like this. It's important that someone brings them to light. When we come back from our break, James, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the governor's race. We have someone who is going to be challenging Gretchen Whitmer. We'll talk a little bit more about that next on Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Managing your office supplies is key to a seamlessly functioning business. With over 90,000 items available for free next day delivery and no minimum order, DBI can solve all your office supply needs from pencils to coffee at the very best value. Call DBI and ask a sales representative to show you their product offerings or visit dbiyes.com and request a product catalog. DBI does all things office, office supplies, furniture, and environments. Welcome back to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business. We're talking with James Dixon, who's the managing editor of the Michigan Capital Confidential. And I wanted to talk about the governor's race. We now have an opponent for Governor Gretchen Whitmer for the November election. And James, I just wanted to get your take on this. There were a lot of people vying for that spot. I thought it was interesting that when all was said and done, James Craig was nowhere to be found. I spoke with him early in this campaign process, and it seemed like he was gathering funding and gathering support. And then it seems like his campaign ran short when it came to having enough signatures. So talk a little bit about this from beginning to where we are now. Well, I think the James Craig factor actually was pretty huge in how our state has been governed over the last year and change. So he retires officially on June 1st, 2021, and he quickly enters this field for governor. And the question you always have when you're the outside party and you're facing an incumbent governor is, who's our person? Who's that person who could even 
be viewed as a legitimate challenge to the governor. And I think Craig, his stature and his background and the fact that any Republican who can pull any amount of votes from Detroit would pretty much, Democrat math doesn't work without Detroit. So if the thesis of James Craig always made sense, and that's why we've seen Gretchen Whitmer lose interest in COVID restrictions and things like that, she's not in a position to do any of that. And unlike before, you know, so there was no one running against her. She was in an off year. And then you had so much of the media backing the restrictions. There was no alternate voice. But with James Craig, there would have been. And so she had to retreat from that. Then James Craig peters out. And we say it's the signatures. But Tony, we both know James Craig's campaign died that day on Belle Isle. Elaborate. Well, so when you have your campaign launch and you're not even able to really do it because there's protesters. And then, I mean, at one point there was almost as many protesters as there were people there for the event. So you're going against the governor, but then you're also setting up this event on the only part of the city of Detroit that's run by the state, which is Belle Isle. So it's not your guys. It's not your police. And I thought another police chief in Detroit got the reception Craig should have gotten. You know, when Ralph Godby, the former Detroit police chief, when he decided to enter the 13th congressional district race, they had him at a church and they laid hands on him. And that's what you would expect, a, you know, a Detroit guy. That's the kind of reception you'd like to get. No one's going to break in the house of God. It just wasn't going to happen. But you set up shop at this, you know, state territory. It goes badly immediately. And he never got off the canvas. You know, it's interesting when we talk about James Craig, we had him on the pod early in his campaign and it sounded like they were running a big boy campaign. But as we sift through time, it didn't make any sense. I mean, not only should he have had that somewhere else off of state or federal property, but as you know, people set that stuff up. He should have had 500 people in there that really supported him. He should have had all the bells and whistles, you sell the sizzle, not the steak. Yes. And not having enough signature. I mean, if you're going to run a big boy campaign, I mean, say what you want about Governor Gretchen Whitmer, but, you know, you're going against a big dog, so you better, you know, you better bring it. That's exactly it. And in a way that directly relates to his ability to be governor, if he had been elected, that credibility was gone. And so I was sad to see, you know, today there's, reports our detroit had it detroit news had it that james craig is saying he would endorse the u.s taxpayers party candidate over tudor dixon so now you're just you're way over your skis you came in as a front runner you came in as the great black hope the person who could finally break the democratic math and get to lansing Mm -hmm. and you became a write-in candidate and now you're talking like a spoiler At some point, you have to look at yourself and at the situation and say, is this really what we came here for? Yeah. And as someone who has interviewed Gretchen Whitmer many times when she was a state senator, she's a pro. She's smart. She's got money. So you better come strong. And we're going to talk about Tudor Dixon when we come back from the break. I've said this, and I'm going to find out a little bit more about this. I think the only person that could beat Gretchen Whitmer is Mike Rogers. 
And obviously, he's been out of the game for a while. We have him on the pod. You'll hear that interview will be up in a couple of weeks. But I think Tudor Dixon's got her work cut out. We'll talk a little bit more about that. This is Media Business. This is the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. We're talking with James Dixon, who's the managing editor for the Michigan Capital Confidential. And we were talking about the governor's race. James, what do we know about Tudor Dixon? And does she have a chance? Can she win? I think the most important thing about Tudor Dixon is that so far she's shown a strong jaw. You know, people, the whole world wants you to back down and change from your positions and soften and equivocate and you know she's taken her slings and arrows for the abortion thing and she did have a setback when you're complaining about how the charlie LaDuff podcast is cutting things up and you're saying that it made you sound worse those aren't winning arguments that's loser talk so she needs to avoid that kind of thing but the idea that michigan is finally going to have kind of two opposite poles to choose from So you're literally going to have one person saying abortion on demand, shout your abortion. You know, this is the most important issue we've ever had in Michigan and Gretchen Whitmer. And then you have Tudor Dixon going to the opposite extreme and saying, you know, unless it involves the literal life of the mother, this shouldn't happen. And so I think about that phrase, a choice, not an echo. And too often Republicans, I think, try to sound reasonable. And when you play that game, you're playing into the Democrats' hands because ultimately you should have such a different worldview that it should be incompatible. Offering a softer version of it shouldn't be you. You should have a different vision entirely. And so I think Dixon has the ability to offer that. And I also think she neutralizes Whitmer's ability to club her Republican opponent over the head with being a woman, being a mother. Just this endless reciting of demographics. The Democratic Party believes that demographics are like their path forward. They think there's this coming avalanche that's going to keep them in power forever. And it makes it very tiresome to listen to them. So we actually might hear about some issues, Tony. And it seems like this election on a national level, local level, but for our conversation here on a state level, is going to be about two different sides here. So we got the Dems. Can their topics of abortion and Trump supersede high crime, the border, the economy, housing, gas prices, supply chain, you know, and we can go on and on and on. So that's the fight. Who's going to win that fight, James? Well, did you notice that the second group of issues you mentioned are the stuff that people you know actually talk about? 
And the first group, the Trump and the abortion, is stuff that Democratic candidates and consultants wish people would talk about. They go on TV and say it'll happen, but will it really? Do we really have that many people in Michigan who just believe that, you know, abortion on demand is just the highest value there is? Or do we have quite a bit of a difference in a range of opinions? And maybe for 50 years, one side has had every reason to not speak out. Hey, the Supreme Court had spoken on it. There was nothing really to talk about. But now there is. And I don't think people are afraid to speak up and say, Abortion's not my thing. Well, you're leading me right into my next question. I am trying to learn and understand why people vote with a party as opposed to the person who is the best individual who is talking about the hot button issues that affect them. And I can't come up with an answer. Can you? Well, we're busy and we're distracted and there's a lot of things to do in life. And You look around and so many people seem and look and behave like they're unfulfilled in life. So I don't blame them for not knowing what to make of all this. And politics in particular is very draining. So much of it is based in negativity because the end game is only to get 50 plus one, 50% plus one, and you win everything. And so that all or nothing kind of nature of it, it really pulls us into polls that I don't think we would get to on our own. And so it heightens the drama of it. And so because we're so busy, we're also looking for shorthands. Okay, and so I want a person who maybe respects, you know, the working person, respects my body, whatever. And so I say, that's a Democrat. That's a Republican. Instead of drilling down and saying, is this person a fit with what I believe to be true about life? We look for all these shorthands. And I would argue that going the long, hard way is worth it. It's only our future at stake. And final question I have for you. I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine who works at CNN. And after our conversation, we came to the same conclusion. The conversation was about the media. And if we go with the national media, we were talking about Fox versus everyone else. Fox just blows everyone away when it comes to the numbers that watch them, that listen to them, that click them. And it's not even close. But if you tally all the MSNBCs, the CNNs, the New York Times and so on, it kind of evens out. And so that's why we have so much information that differ from each other. You know, how do you think we in the media are doing when it comes to getting out the truth? Well, it's the same dynamic that you just mentioned. You're greatly outnumbered anytime you're trying to tell the truth. So I think about what was just announced, Ford Motor Company laying off 3,000 people in Michigan, two months after they were given $100 million by the Michigan legislature to hire 3,000 people in Michigan. So how does this happen? And, you know, and how it happened is basically lawmakers signed a bad deal. The net number that was at issue did not account for the white collar jobs. So Ford was allowed to give with one hand and take with the other, (laughs) right? But then I hop on online today and I see stories that try to explain what Ford did. And they essentially to the theme that Ford is going to build back better with all these layoffs. And I think journalism needs to be about questioning the powerful 
not explaining the powerful. And so, yeah, there might only be the few of us who choose to approach it that way, but you get all of the readers who know that that's the right way to do it. And so all these readers are going to read stories that explain away what Ford did, like this isn't bad business, bad citizenship, a human tragedy. They try to explain it away. But you know, if you go to Michigan Capital Confidential, we're going to question those guys, not explain them. James Dixon is the managing editor for the Michigan Capital Confidential. James, I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Tony. Appreciate you. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business, and we'll see you next time on the Michigan Business Network.